This is a QAMR Berghofer Medical Research Institute podcast. Today we are talking about the most unconventional treatment of faecal microbiota transplant. And yes, it is exactly what it sounds like. Inside your stomach and intestines are microbiota and too many of the wrong microorganisms can make you really sick. Restoring that balance can be difficult, but this new treatment has shown promising results in Clostridoides difficile. It's a common gut infection with potential for treating Crohn's and even ulcerative colitis. Dr. Andrea Hendon is ready to trial this unusual treatment in a really urgent setting for people who have had bone marrow transplants. 70% suffer the painful and sometimes deadly graft versus host disease, which often occurs in the gut. She's a researcher here at QIMR Berghofer and staff specialist of haematology and bone marrow transplantation at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Andrea. Thanks so much for having me. What is the microbiota and how does a healthy microbiome work? So the microbiota refers to the really diverse populations of, of microbes and fungi and bacteria that live in our gut. Having a balance and a really wide range of microbes in our gut keeps us healthy. So our gut is home to a variety of different microbes, which in health exist in balance and generate a range of unique molecules and metabolites, which we don't get directly from our diet. Some of these metabolites can influence the function of some types of immune cells, and that's, this contributes to keeping us healthy. So this is where your research kicks in, and it really is an urgent need. Yeah, so we do bone marrow transplantation because it can potentially save the lives of patients with blood cancers. But unfortunately, its complications can also cost lives. In bone marrow transplant, we want the new incoming immune system to be able to recognise and destroy the cancer cells. But unfortunately, for some patients, it can affect normal cells and tissues. And this is what we refer to as graft-versus-host disease. Graft-versus-host disease affecting the gut is a particularly difficult problem to treat. So this is a really interesting and exciting approach to this difficult clinical problem. Traditionally, we use immune-suppressing medications, which have risks of their own. And certainly, the more we immune-suppress patients after transplant, the more problems we run into with infections. If we can restore a healthy gut microbiome, we can influence immune function in the gut and treat GVHD in a safer way whilst preserving immunity. For these patients, it's really bad, isn't it? Yeah. Look, up to 70% of patients after transplant will have some form of graft-versus-host disease. And for a lot of patients, this is mild. It might affect the skin and be responsive to topical treatments. But for some patients, it can affect really important organs like the gut, the liver and lung. And the gut is a particularly difficult organ when this happens acutely after a transplant. We offer immune suppressive medications in the form of high dose steroids to all patients as frontline, but we see about half of patients in that scenario may not respond and continue to have severe disease, which means that they're very unwell. They often need to be in hospital for a long period of time and require interventions like intravenous feeding. So for this group of patients, we really urgently need better treatments that will help save lives. The current options aren't that effective, are they? As I said, about 50% of patients will respond to first-line treatment with steroids, but the responses in that remaining half of patients are really mixed and really do have quite a profound range of side effects due to the immune-suppressing nature of the way that they work. 
And it impacts the treatment that they're going through with the GVHD. It certainly does. Transplantation relies on a real balance between the immune function to control a cancer and immune suppression to control GVHD. So if we really start to immune suppress the patients as well, we can see problems with relapse. When did you become aware of the possibility of faecal transplants as an option? So faecal transplantation has actually been around for many decades and it was first used to treat clostridioides or C. diff infection that you mentioned earlier. In that scenario, that's an overgrowth of inverted commas, like a bad bacteria that happens after antibiotics. And people recognise back as early as the late 50s and early 60s that perhaps restoring good bacteria from the gut might be an effective way to treat it. Clearly, though, uh, the concept of giving a fairly unmodified stool from a donor didn't come with great acceptance either, either from the patients or the medical community for quite some years. More recently, there's been an advance that has let us actually genetically sequence the types of bacteria in the gut. And it was recognised that in scenarios such as bone marrow transplantation, that there was a real reduction in the diversity of microbes present in the stool of patients who are both recipients of transplant and also of chemotherapy. So the idea that potentially replacing this lack of diversity through something like a faecal transplant might be an effective way to treat patients. So in the last five to 10 years, I think there's been a really increased increasing awareness of the role of gut microbes in immune control of diseases like graft-versus-host disease and therefore the potential to maybe improve treatment by use of faecal transplants. Equally, we've come a long way in terms of how the faecal transplant itself is made and used. And in our study, we'll actually be using a product that's manufactured by the Australian Red Cross Lifeblood Microbiome Project, uh, which comes with even a more stringent screening program required to be a blood donor. So one of the potential problems is that we can transfer harmful bacteria that can particularly cause infections in the recipient. But through the Australian Red Cross, we're able to apply a really stringent screening program to try and ensure that this doesn't happen. Equally, the product can be manufactured and altered in in a way such that it's delivered in a far more convenient uh, form um, and so in palatable. Our, yes palatable form so in our trial it's actually our 150 mil liquid suspension that will be delivered by a, a nasoduodenal tube which is a plastic tube that goes into a patient's nose and down past their stomach so that really does make it I think a far more acceptable treatment to most patients we routinely insert nasogastric and nasal du- duodenal tubes on the ward for a lot of our patients who receive supplemental feeding so that's done as an awake procedure and then once the tubes in in place it really you know it doesn't require patients to be sedated and anything that's put through the tube is not something that we would expect they have any particular side effects at the time of infusion at least the sorts of things that we might expect to see is that patients can have some some nausea or or abdominal bloating or abdominal pain when when the fecal transplantation is performed However, in fact, many of these symptoms really cross over with the gut GVH itself. So we expect that the use of the faecal transplant will be a pretty tolerable procedure. But yes, the patients will be awake and aware of when it's happening. There is lots of potential for use in other diseases, including the infection that we mentioned, C. diff, but also in other inflammatory bowel diseases like Crohn's disease and Mm. ulcerative colitis. How it's prepared and how it's delivered probably is going to be specific for each disease type. So for C. diff, direct installation via colonoscopy of the product. 
so that the faecal transplant is delivered to the area of the gut that's most affected by disease. For us, when we consider our patients with graft versus host disease, they often have quite inflamed uh, lower bowels or colons, and the colonoscopy procedure itself can come with some risk. So we'll be delivering the product via nasoduodenal route. But in other diseases, it may be more relevant to deliver it directly to to other parts of the colon. These are all really active areas of research. And I think what we see now and what's available now may well be very different in years to come. Would you give this prior to the bone marrow transplant or directly after? No, so we're currently looking at giving it when there is active graft versus host disease. So that's something that happens after a transplant. There is some emerging evidence that in fact, probably the primary treatment for, for their blood cancer significantly does alter a patient's microbiome and there may be roles for trying to replace and restore that microbiome earlier in their treatment journey. But as it stands, there's not as much evidence for use in those scenarios. So we're really looking at applying it in the context of disease, graft-versus-host disease that hasn't responded to first-line therapy. So that will be after transplantation. But the other part of the research is to really try and understand how that's working and the follow-on for that may be that there are roles in other settings as well. So one of the things we really hope to try and unpick as part of this research is to determine which part of the transplant is actually producing the therapeutic effect. So which bacteria or which metabolite are they making that is really important in treating the disease? Because what we'd really hope is in, in decades to come, we're no longer looking at faecal transplant. We're able to be more targeted and maybe give a particular chemical supplement or uh, maybe even just looking at a more simple delivery of a particular microbe. And equally, there are others in, in our department, including uh, Dr. Sarah Anderson, who's a dietitian, looking at ways that we can potentially use the diet to support a more favorable microbiome through transplantation as well. So whilst fecal transplantation is very exciting, I think the way of the future will hopefully be something a bit more targeted and specific to disease and patients' needs. For your patients with GVHD, though, it's quite difficult to restore that normal, healthy gut microbiome because what some of them are nil by mouth. Yeah, the patients with severe acute gut GVH are really sick. These are patients who are definitely in hospital with us. They're often on nasogastric or intravenous feeding and really unable to tolerate much in the way of, of a normal diet. They're often on multiple immune suppressive medications and maybe on a range of other medications to help support them through their transplant. So trying to alter diet in that setting is probably a little tricky, which is why we've looked at the faecal transplantation approach for this trial. Even if you could get onto a great diet and very diversified diet, would you be able to replace that on your own? I think the answer is probably yes. It's certainly a very active area of research, so I wouldn't want to comment about something that's not particularly my area of expertise. Mm. But generally, we do know that diet is important in influencing the components of our microbiome, and it may be something that is able to be manipulated in that way. Now, let's talk about these very generous volunteers. This project will be completed in collaboration with the Australian Red Cross Lifeblood Microbiome Project. And like Lifeblood's blood donors, they will all be voluntary donors. They're not paid for their contribution. However, they are extensively screened based on infectious diseases, screening, um, which will be tested in blood and in stool and, and in the current climate. In fact, there's certainly precautions around COVID as well. So the product is from voluntary donors, the same way that we're very grateful for contributions for blood donors. 
Once they've passed the screening procedures, they're able to donate and the product is then manufactured in the manufacturing facility in Perth and then we're delivered a frozen product which is de-identified, able to be used in our patients. I'm interested to see the advertising campaign for those donors. You can have a look on their website. They have a portal where you can look up about the, the microbiome project on the Australian Red Cross Lifeblood website. They have some nice uh, nice graphics that I think are very uh, <laughs> attractive in the, in the context. <laughs> yes, they deliver it in a very sanitised way. This is such extraordinary science, and for any trial, it is very difficult to get the medication. But in your case, it's something really extraordinary. It's just so good for you to have the Australian Red Cross on board already doing this for C. difficile, and now they're extending that for your trial. Yeah, so I think there's been a lot of interest in using faecal transplant in graft-versus-host disease for the last few years. As I said, and that's backed up by the research that had shown us how important having a really diverse microbiome is in gut health in, in transplant. So we've really been looking for an opportunity to be able to bring this type of therapy to our patients. And, and as I said, we've been very lucky to have this collaboration with the Australian Red Cross Lifeblood Microbiome Project. So they set up the program to deliver products for, in fact, a different disease that we've mentioned a little, the C. difficile infection. Yeah, can we get back to that? Because we've glossed over it a bit, but this is something that's uh, quite common. It's reasonably common, yes. It's something that a lot of patients will experience after they've been given broad-spectrum antibiotics, which we now know really really alters the microbiome. And in fact, in, in C. diff infection, use of fecal transplantation in, as the first therapy offered can be really effective. But it really is a very difficult therapy to offer if you don't have a product that you can take either out of a freezer or off the proverbial shelf. Mm. So that's really where this opportunity has come about. In fact, it came up over a dinner conversation with my sister-in-law who, who had worked for the Red Cross at the time, was mentioning that they were trying to set up a, a stool bank. And I thought, well, this would just be such a wonderful opportunity, potentially, if we can have a good quality product that has gone through the same rigorous screening that's applied for our blood donor population. And that's really, really how it came about that we were able to bring this trial through to be available for our patients with graft-versus-host disease. People in the future will be really grateful that someone from the Red Cross and a bone marrow transplant doctor were having dinner one night. <laughs> Even if it did lead to unconventional dinner topic conversation. So you approached them and they said yes. Yes. Yeah, so as I said, the, they have the, the microbiome project set up and it was looking to gain some clinical trial experience and they've subsequently got a, a therapeutic goods association license for the product to be used in C. diff. So I think what we recognise is that while C. diff is a really valid and useful indication for faecal transplantation, there's actually probably a real wealth of other disease scenarios that would benefit from its use. But you wouldn't get this far if you didn't have really good results coming out of other trials, Andrea. So I think we don't have a lot of data from trials yet to say that this is really effective in graft-versus-host disease. There are have been small case studies performed in overseas institutions which do show that it can be effective. But what we do know is that there is really a wealth of data to say how important the gut microbiome is to gut health and particularly in diseases that are driven by immune function in the gut. 
And so it's in that space where I think there's a real opportunity to use FMT as an effective therapy for gut graft versus host disease. So this is a small trial that's really trying to prove that this product will be able to be delivered safely and effectively in our patient population. And we'll start to also give us some data about exactly how it works, which gut bacteria are important and potentially which metabolites that they produce are really important in exerting the immune effect. We're thrilled, though, to be able to deliver this as a trial and give another treatment option to patients which may potentially spare them from the other aggressive immune-suppressing therapies that we would otherwise use. And it also means that we'll hopefully be able to then trial this treatment in other disease settings as well. And there's real opportunity in outside of graft-versus-host disease to look at other inflammatory bowel conditions such as Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. And they are really common and a lot of people suffering from that and really no effective treatment for them really, is there? Look, agree entirely. As a bone marrow transplanter, I'll always be interested in therapies that are effective for the patients that I treat, but the need in other immune gut diseases such as IBD is, is really great. So there's real potential for this therapy to be used in other immune-driven gut diseases such as inflammatory bowel disease, and I think we'll see some really exciting trials in those disease groups going forward. A lot of people following that very closely. And for you, it must be very difficult because you're a clinician and you're seeing patients and the bone marrow transplant is literally saving their lives. These people are dealing with leukemia and really serious cancers. So to watch them then go down this track of GVHD must be really tough. Oh, look, transplantation is is a really life-saving therapy for patients with aggressive blood cancers, but it is the archetypal sort of double-edged sword whilst it can save lives it can cost lives as well and it's heartbreaking as a clinician to look after patients who won't survive the transplant and so we really want to be able to offer better therapies to these patients and hopefully therapies that will mean that they need to spend less time in hospital as well. Well that's possibility for other diseases and that's really hopeful Andrew. What about other organs? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. So we know that graft-versus-host disease doesn't only affect the gut. It's often a systemic disease that will affect skin. It can affect the liver and the lungs. Part of the research will be looking at the ways that we alter some of the immune cells and immune function in the blood as well. And what we really hope is that the effects and the alterations to the immune cells in the gut may actually affect the graft-versus-host disease elsewhere in the body as well. So it's possible that the faecal transplant may in fact improve graft-versus-host disease elsewhere in the body. That's an exciting concept and we really need to study more, but there is potential for that to be seen. As far as you know, is one treatment sufficient? Again, a really interesting question. We, we hope that one treatment will be effective, but from the other studies that have been conducted overseas, we do see that some patients will need more than one treatment. And there are some really question, interesting questions about, well, should that second treatment be from the same donor or a different donor? When should it be delivered? How should it be delivered? We don't have answers to that at this stage, but these are certainly all the sort of exciting questions that we hope to start gathering information and answers to. Just remember this podcast is a general discussion and your own doctor is always the best option for your personal health. Extraordinary and fascinating research. When can you get started? 
So we're looking forward to getting started as soon as we can this year. Um, we've been so grateful for the support so far from both the Australian Red Cross Lifeblood Microbiome Project and also to the RBWH Foundation for funding this research. If you'd like to know more about Dr Andrea Hendon's incredible work or any of the research here, go to qimrberghofer.edu.au. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks so much.